I don't know how familiar you are with Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the famous English poet. He, had, he has a, a poem called Desire. This is written over 200 years ago, but listen to this notion. Where true love burns, desire is love's pure flame. It is the reflex of our earthly frame that takes its meaning from the nobler part and but translates the language of the heart. If you don't speak poetry, (laughs) he's saying that desire is love's pure flame. Desire is fundamentally good. And what we, what we want is simply the expression of who we are. He was, in some ways, a prophet. That is certainly the attitude of our world today. If, you, if Coleridge doesn't do it for you, I've got Neo, the modern pro, uh, poet and prophet. How can something that feels so right be so wrong? Doesn't that really sum up our, our cultural stance when it comes to sexuality? If you want it, it must be good. If you, if you desire it, that must be a reflection of who you really are. And so really, this morning, we, we face a cultural situation that, is, uh, that, that, that expresses a divide between two radically different views of sexuality. In the one corner, we find this idea of Coleridge and Neo and others. This idea that if you want it, it must be good. And it goes beyond that, really. There's an idea given today that basically your sexual desires define who you are as a person. And so who you are attracted to, that is at the core, that is the root of you as an individual, what you desire sexually. In the other corner, we find the traditional, and I think we can do better than that term, the biblical position which says that God has designed us to experience sexual fulfillment in the lifelong covenant commitment of marriage between a man and a woman. Gasp. That is a controversial sentence today. And as you know, the the divide between those two worldviews continues to grow, which means that as Christians living in New Jersey in 2023, we face a difficult situation where on the one hand, we want to pursue what God has called us to with our attitude towards sex and sexuality. But at the same time, we live amongst people who have a very different view. And indeed, it's not just that we live in a world that has a different view. We are often influenced by that different view. And just in case you wonder whether or not it actually is an issue, if you pay close attention, if you're ever watching a show uh, on uh, on television, even you might think the safest kinds of shows you can watch, which are always British period pieces. Okay, let's praise the Lord for PBS. There it is. And so, uh, you know, but but you can watch these shows and they will will romanticize this idea of uh, sexual desire being the root core of who you are. And they will, they will actually... Uh, paint the idea in the in the show that the biblical morality the that God's call to sexual fulfillment only in marriage is not only weird but it is harmful and oppressive one, one commentator Carl Truman said it this way in his book Strange New World he said modern culture's portrayal of traditional sexual standards like virginity chastity 
modesty, even monogamy is typically, is typically engineered to present these values as somehow inadequate, even oppressive and dehumanizing. So they're not just saying, oh, well, we can agree to disagree. It's a different view. They're saying, no, no, no. The view that you're talking about, that God designed sexual fulfillment to be in a a marriage relationship, a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman, that that is actually harmful to humans. And if we teach that view, we are harming people. So we face a very difficult situation. Now that's the culture in general. I'm so thankful for Christians like Carl Truman, who God has used to help us analyze our culture. But at the end of the day, we can't just talk about culture. We have to talk about us. And so I would encourage you this morning to just ask this question. Where does the struggle with sexual sin hit you? If you're single, you're going to face temptations. You're going to have expectations. You're going to have pursuits. You're going to have to decide what is my attitude going to be towards dating and sex? And how am I going to approach this? And of course, those ideas will then bleed into marriage. As you, if, if you're blessed with marriage, now you bring those ideas into your marriage and the expectations and desire for sexual fulfillment certainly impacts the marriage relation, relationship. It can be a blessing or it can also cause great harm and hurt. And even as perhaps you're widowed or head into your sunset years, you have the opportunity to invest in your children and grandchildren who are facing a very different day than your day, if we could be honest about it. And so you have an opportunity to bless them. But at the end of the day, we have to ask the question, okay, not only do I receive the word of God here, but where will it transform me? Where is it going to change me? And Jesus's teaching here in Matthew 5 is definitely revolutionary when it comes to our view of sexuality, the nature of sexual sin, and the reality of lust. And so this falls right in line with the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. And so, again, I'm so thankful for, um, for pastors TJ, Jesse, and Josh walking us through uh, these last three weeks. But as, as Pastor Jesse explained in, in the previous section, the previous two sections, um, Jesus clarifies he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law shows our sin and points us to Christ and Jesus fulfills the law. He doesn't cast it aside. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount here, he says, let's talk about the law for a minute because frankly, you've sold it short, right? And as he talks to a Jewish audience, he's talking to people who thought the most spiritual person I know is this Pharisee, this religious leader of the day. And that religious leader was really proud of their fulfilling the law, keeping the rules, congratulating themselves that they hadn't murdered anyone. Way to go. Good job. But as Pastor Josh walked us through that section, the reality is the issue isn't murder alone. The issue, of course, is the heart. The heart that hates, the heart that refuses to reconcile, the heart that tolerates bitterness. Jesus ups the ante here significantly, right? And what we're going to see in the weeks to follow is that he continues that pattern of highlighting one section of the law from the Old Testament and then talking about how there's actually more going on there that meets the eye. And as he does so, he confronts the complacency of the Jewish audience of his day who had maybe misunderstood the nature of true spirituality. Remember, in general, the Sermon on the Mount is all about kingdom living. What are God's kingdom citizens like? And yes, we could say God's kingdom citizens don't murder. You should not murder. Keep that one like that, right? You should not murder. But we say more than that. We say God's kingdom citizens, we're we're waging war with hatred in our hearts and anger and bitterness. 
This morning, we can talk about adultery. Watch Matthew chapter 5. We pick it up there again in verse 27. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Okay, we're, we're pulling straight out of the Ten Commandments here, right? And as Jesus quotes uh, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, also in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, he quotes this basic command, do not commit adultery. And the fact is, Again, to that first century audience, they were th- looking at the spirituality of the religious leaders of their day. These, the, these guys were going around, patting themselves on the back. I haven't committed adultery. How spiritual am I, right? And it seems a little ridiculous, but the hypocrisy it was there, and Jesus is exposing it. So he says, you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, that's not, that's not all that's going on here. Watch verse 28. But I tell you, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, if you're congratulating yourself on not actually committing adultery, but you're looking at women lustfully, you have the same problem. It's still wrong. It's sin. It's not okay. And so here what Jesus does is like he did with the murder command last week. He intensifies, right, and clarifies what's really going on in God's law. God's law, he's not just talking here about adultery. He's talking about actually much more than adultery. He's talking about the heart issue of lust. And fundamentally, in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus teaches us that lust is not okay. Lust is not okay. Now, that might not seem revolutionary to you, but we live in a day and age where we are being told all the time that lust is okay. And in our weak moments, we might be willing to listen to those voices. Jesus also changes the conversation, just as he did last week with murder to anger. He changes the conversation from a behavioral issue, what you do, to a heart issue, what you want, your heart attitude, right? He did it with murder and anger last week. This week, he does it with adultery and lust. And again, these guys are going around congratulating themselves that they hadn't actually committed adultery. But Jesus says, that's just the behavioral issue. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's talk about what's really going on, a heart that is changing chasing after adultery and lusting after women. Jesus frames the conversation in terms of desire rather than behavior, which means for you and me, we need to maybe push past a performance oriented uh, behavioral idea of what God calls me to and ask, what has God called me to at my heart? What is it that he's called me to love and to pursue and to chase after? And again, the, the reality of the hypocrisy of this picture of spirituality that was prevalent in Israel in the first century was that adultery is wrong, lust, eh, it's okay. And frankly, today, I think we face the same kind of situation. As long as you don't commit the big bad sin, right, then, you know, lust, well, everybody struggles with it, so you're, you're fine, It's not that big of a deal. Jesus says, lust is not okay. Now, our culture has doubled down on the acceptability of lust in several ways, right? Uh, First of all, the 
accessibility of pornography and the promotion of pornography certainly reveals this. It's not just that you can get porn. It's that porn is viewed as basically healthy now. The idea is that, yeah, it's safe. It's good. Go get it. Chase after it. In advertising, you know, Madison Avenue figured out a long time ago that sex sells. Okay. And that hasn't, that's not going anywhere. So that's continuing to be a basic uh, component of advertising that we face in our culture. You also see it in fashion. You know, in in fashion, especially with ladies' fashion, the the idea of the cutting edge of of being sexually um, alluring in fashion, I mean, that's not going anywhere. We're very much seeing that. And and when the summer comes around, it's always going to be an issue. It's not just in the summer, of course. And then, obviously, in entertainment, right? In our culture, entertainment, I mean, it's almost like you have to include explicit sexual content in a show for it to be successful, for it to be talked about, for it to be exciting. And so again, our culture's doubled down. Lust is not a problem. It's, it's, it's healthy. It's good. Go after it, chase after it. And so I, we just have to be really clear and say, although we're going to hear that all the time in all the places, we need to hear from Jesus here who says lust is not okay. I don't care what the psychologist says. I don't care what the, the advertisers are promoting. I don't care what they're, they're pushing out of Hollywood or even what the legal framework is and how the law handles it. Jesus says lust is not okay. And we need to hear that this morning. Let me just address, uh, you know, the, the particular temptations uh, from the perspective of men and women. Men, don't give yourself a pass here. Don't give yourself a pass. When Jesus says lust is not okay, he means it. He means if you look after a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. He means that lustful look, right? That lustful look, which, which seems to have in the, in the grammar here an intentionality behind it. So it's not so much you're driving by and you see the billboard or the woman walks by you at the mall or whatever it is. It's not so much that, that first moment perhaps, but it's rather how you respond to that moment, Right? It's that second look that sometimes we talk about. It's that, that pursuit, that chase of it, the tolerance of it. And again, Jesus says, that is not acceptable. But that's not, that's not what I have called you to. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to give ourselves a pass by either just buying what the culture is selling or by, by basically uh, getting complacent about it because, well, it's just such a big struggle and everybody struggles with it, so whatever, right? That's not helpful. And the response here to Jesus clarifying the law and God's heart uh, with regard to lust and sexual sin, our response should be to repent of our sin. And so men, especially if you're here this morning and you know that you're tolerating lustful looks in your life, you need to repent of that sin. You need to pray. You need to say, Father, forgive me for watching that. For the second look, the third look, forgive me for pursuing that relationship in the workplace, right? Or putting myself in a situation where I can look lustfully. Lord, it's sinful and you hate it and I confess it is wrong, right? Repenting, turning away from it, calling it what it is and turning away. But ladies, you're not immune from lust either. And while it's a different battle because men and women are very different in this regard, you still may struggle with fantasizing about the ideal boyfriend or husband. You may be frustrated that your boyfriend or husband isn't the ideal. 
or you may embrace the over hypersexualization of our culture, right? And you may unquestioningly adopt whatever fashion is coolest or whatever wants, even if it's, or whatever you want to look cool like everybody else, even if it is, puts you in a situation where you are making yourself an object of desire. Now, ladies, you don't cause men to sin, okay, by your fashion choices, but nonetheless, you can certainly create a, a temptation and an opportunity for sin. And so ladies, whether it's fantasizing and imagining up the ideal mate and, or being frustrated with your current mate because of that or whatever it might be, just recognize that the battle is at the heart level. And again, you have an opportunity to repent, to confess your sin. In Galatians 5, the apostle Paul, uh, he just reminds us that sexual sin is not a part of the kingdom of God and those who, who pursue sexual sin without repentance, they will not be in the kingdom of God. They will not experience blessing with God in heaven. Lust is not okay. Now, that in and of itself is uh, revolutionary, right? Because it's, very, it's a bold, clear statement that Jesus is making to confront hypocrisy in his day. And we can take it right to today and confront the hypocrisy in our day. And by the way, our struggles, although they're unique because of technology and our culture, it's not like sexual sin is new. Okay, sexual sin has been a problem since Genesis chapter 3. So it's not like it's a new issue, but it just faces, or it just has a, kind of a new expression. Well, since lust is not okay, the question is now what? And Jesus gives us some remarkable marching orders, okay? All right, watch verse 29 and 30. Watch how he responds, how he leads us to respond. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Okay. Jesus obviously thinks this is a big deal. And while no doubt here, this is a rhetorical argument. He's using hyperbole. Okay. He's not actually telling you to go cut your eye out. What is he saying? He's saying, this is so serious. You need to take drastic action to deal with this problem of lust. Again, if the the problem is looking lustfully, right? If that's the issue that that has something to do with your eyes. And so Jesus says, if it's your right eye, that's the problem. You cut it out because it would be better for you to go to heaven with one eye and like probably wear a patch. So just think about that for a second. Like in the eternal state wearing a patch, they'd be like, what's up with the pirate? Like, no, like, you know, it's not, it's, case of, it's not literal, right? But he's saying it'd be better for you to go to heaven with one eye than for all of you to be cast into hell into judgment. Course, he's thinking there about the reality that if you don't repent of this sin, you are exposing the fact that you are not a kingdom citizen. If you don't take action, it's not that you don't warrant forgiveness, it's that you're showing that you don't care about what the king wants and what he's called you to. And so here Jesus says, Take decisive action, get serious, and get after this. We don't tolerate it, we don't we don't be lazy about it, we certainly don't justify it, we want to take action. The second part of chapter of this section, verse 30, is the same idea, just another way. He says it another way. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I don't know if you remember, uh, but Pat Walsh had some eye issues recently. Pat, remember when you had your eyes? And I, I actually recommended a patch. I, I don't know what the doctor said, but yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough when you have, you know, eye problems and one of your eyes isn't working, Okay. So, okay, you cut out your right eye. Maybe your left eye is still working. 
Pat made it through okay. Praise God, he's doing better, right? That, that's, that's awesome. What if it was his right hand? You think about a world that's prejudiced against left-handed people, by the way. First century world, prejudice against lefties. Um, I'm left-handed, so I get it, all right? right? But, but if you're in a right-handed world, if you cut off your right hand, I mean, now you're, now you're severely limited. Now you've got, you've got real problems for how you're going to function in life. Jesus says, if your right hand is causing you to sin... The hand that everybody needs, right, to to live, to do all the things. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Verse 30, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is calling us here to drastic action, decisive action to deal with the problem of lust. I'll say it this way. The only way to battle lust is wholeheartedly. The only way to battle lust is wholeheartedly. Again, it it matches the first part. Jesus has no room for tolerating this issue. It's a heart level battle. But Jesus says, using the picture of cutting your eye out or cutting your right arm off. He says, your right hand off. Let's get serious and let's take action. Because it would be better to be inconvenienced than to pursue sin. And by the way, there's the, the, the picture of the right eye and the right hand imagery. Right? That's what it symbolizes. That's what it pictures. It pictures embracing inconvenience for the sake of holiness rather than sinning and, and not having to deal with the, with the hardship of it. It's, Jesus acknowledges, I know that battling lust means it's going to make your life more difficult. Welcome to planet earth. Right? We live in a broken world. And God's grace abounds, but at the end of the day, God's grace in his followers, his kingdom citizens, looks like waging war with lust decisively. Taking action. Not not tolerating it. Again, not making excuses for it. Not being complacent about it. Battling lust wholeheartedly. Just in, in case it's not clear here. The Apostle Paul clarifies the same idea in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, where he says, This is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Are you, just in case we need the cookies on the bottom shelf, right? This is God's will for you to be holy, specifically with regard to sexual immorality. So keep away from sexual immorality. This describes effort, okay? Now, anytime we talk about effort in the Christian life, we want to be really clear. This is not effort to earn salvation. So what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying stop lusting and then you'll be forgiven. No, it's actually the other way around. You've been forgiven by faith. You've been forgiven. Therefore, now we strive as kingdom citizens. We run with our Savior. We keep in step with the Spirit. And here, keeping in step with the Spirit means battling lust wholeheartedly. We're not earning salvation. We're not warranting forgiveness here. We're responding to the gospel. And how do we know that in Matthew? Well, if we keep reading in the gospel of Matthew, where do we go? We end up going to the cross. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he dies for what? For our sins, for our failure to keep the law of God. He dies for our lust. But he rose from the dead. And as he rose from the dead in victory... He offers to all who will trust in him, not only forgiveness, 
but now transformation. The calling to a new life. A new kingdom to be a part of. And a new kingdom ethic. Because of the gospel, we have a new perspective. If you're here this morning, and, and you would just, if you were able to be very honest about it, you're struggling in, in this area, and you feel like a failure, I just want to encourage you that Jesus died for your sins. And it's because of his death on your behalf that you can freely confess that failure. You can call it what it is. You can actually name it and turn away from it because Jesus died so that you could be forgiven of that sin. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. May it never be. Because Jesus, as he was raised to life, has called us to new life in him, which means a new attitude toward sexual sin and sexual pursuits. Jesus changes us. So let's talk practically about accepting this, this, the inconvenience of cutting off my hand or cutting out my eye. What does he talk about? Well, I think on the one hand, you just have to recognize that cutting an eye out or cutting the right hand off means that, that we are limited in our, uh, in our capacity to function, okay? In our culture, Christians need to accept the fact that we are limited with how we can function in the culture, there are things that we will, we will say, I will not watch. There are things that we say, I will not wear. There are things that we say, I will not talk about that in this way. Okay, I will not laugh at that, right? Why? Because I am a follower of Jesus. The only way to battle lust is wholeheartedly. This is where the rubber meets the road. And, and what we have to just accept and recognize here is that it is inconvenient to live that way. Can I get an Amen. It's inconvenient to live this way. You're going to be the weirdo at work that didn't watch Game of Thrones? How bizarre, like, what, like you have two heads? Like, what's wrong with you? you that you're going to have to get, like, accept that. Yes, I, you know, and as much as the idea of picturing Pat Walsh in a pirate's, you know, with a patch, like, that really brought me a lot of pleasure just laughing about that, Right. <laughs> It's like, it's so silly. It'd be so weird. It's like, haha, it's so funny. Like, no, but that's it. You might as well be wearing a pirate's patch and walking around all the time. Why are you such a weirdo? Why won't you use your right hand? Like, what happened? What happened is, I care more about following my Savior than I care about what people think of me. That's what happened. And, and I'm not going to sit there and say, lust is okay. It's not that big of a deal. Lust, lust is a big deal. And the only way to battle it is to battle it wholeheartedly. So we're accepting the difficulty of that. Again, that's that right hand, right eye imagery. Practically speaking, what does that look like, right? Uh, entertainment choices. Just really trying to speak very, just to where the rubber meets the road here. Entertainment choices. Flee, flee youthful lusts. Make good decisions that honor Jesus in your entertainment choices. This is a battle. And it's, it's one of the primary battles we face because we can be entertained all the time because of our devices. They're with us, right? So we can always have that entertainment with us. So just be mindful of that. Uh, in, in your relationships, watch how you relate to others. If you're single, watch how you relate to others. If you're at school, watch how you relate to others, the way you treat others and how you handle yourself, what you communicate in those relationships. And if you're married, watch your relationships. Watch that flirtation level at the workplace or, or how you, you spend time with other people. Um, you know where you're tempted. 
And you just need to be aware of that. And just recognize that, again, back to the original point, lust is not okay. And just because you don't actually commit adultery doesn't mean it's not a problem. Right? So we, we wage war with, with lust wholeheartedly, watching our relationships. And then maybe a practical positive step here could be accountability, right? Just being willing to talk about where we're struggling. Um, in care groups, this is why in care groups, uh, often we split up into men and women because you need an opportunity to talk about where you're struggling. Or maybe you have a discipleship partner that you meet with on a regular basis that you could actually share, this is how I'm doing And it's a risk, but here's the deal. It's not like um, if you talk openly about a struggle with lust, the person you're talking to is going to go, what? I didn't even know it was a struggle. No, we know it's a struggle. It's all around us. And not only is it all around us, Jesus says lust is not okay. And so we want to band together and together seek to keep in step with the spirit and say no to this this temptation, right? And to, to wage war with this sin, to honor him in that way. So we want to we take advantage of the relationships we have in the church. I would just uh, exhort you this morning, if you don't have a trusted brother or sister that you can talk to about this struggle, you need one. This is not an optional higher level of Christianity. This is Christianity 101, the basics. Lust is not okay. You need someone that you can talk to about how you're doing with this battle. Now, just so we're, we're all on the same page, this is very hard, Right? It is, it is a, a true battle in that sense. And again, that's why I think Jesus puts so much emphasis here on it. It is going to be difficult. The question is not, will we, uh, will we improve? The question is, will we follow him? That's where we have to decide. And the, the over-sexualization of our culture and the sense of identity that it has to be you know, rooted in our sexual pursuits it's reaping destruction in our lives. I tell you about uh, this guy I met 25 years ago. And uh, let's call him Luke. And so uh, Luke was in, in pursuit of pastoral ministry. He had gone to seminary and he served as a uh, youth pastor, right? And Luke had a secret pornography problem that he didn't really talk to about people. And it was that thing, it, for, it wasn't a... It wasn't a big deal at first to him, and then it got a little worse, got a little worse, so he didn't talk to anybody about it. That in and of itself was wrong. Lust is not okay. But of course, what happened in the youth group was that pornography problem bled into a flirtation with youth staff, you know, and then a little bit with some of the older students. And unfortunately, it put him in a position where he was willing to compromise with one of his students. And so what ends up happening then is that he actually is, is brought before the court and has to face charges for that. He goes to jail. His wife, who was pregnant with his fifth child at the time, ends up divorcing him. And now he does not have access to his own children. And he's serving his time and will live out his life in a very different way than what it started. All that destruction, all that destruction is a result of saying... Lust is not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a problem. That was 25 years ago that that happened. Today, access to pornography, okay, uh, is much more available than it was then. And statistically continues to be an issue as for younger and younger people. So we're being exposed to pornography at younger ages. 
which means the potential for, for destruction there continues to go up. And the reason why I'm just telling you that is because when Jesus says lust is not okay, he's, it's not like he's just being uptight about it. Jesus knows the destruction that sexual sin can cause in our lives. And his way is the better way. Just like last week with, with anger and murder, he knows what anger will do to you if you let it fester in your heart. That murderous heart, if you, if you hold on to that. And so he calls us in his kingdom living to a different way, a radical way. And here it's the same idea that we're called to this radically different way of living. So I, I just want to encourage you to take this seriously because Jesus does have your best in mind when he calls us to this lifestyle. And this is the deal, right? All the time as we, as we face this temptation and this struggle, Satan is whispering, you're not as bad as that guy. You're not as bad as that guy. You'd never do that. You're not as bad as your neighbor. You're not as bad as, you're not as bad as, right? You're not as bad as. And as Satan whispers that, Jesus doesn't whisper. He boldly declares, lust is not okay. It's not okay. And we want to wage war with it wholeheartedly. Okay, so we live in a, in a hypersexualized culture. So what, how should we respond? Let me just give you a few maybe uh, ways that we need to be, be careful about how we respond to the reality of what we're facing in our culture. First, don't complain. Don't complain. Uh, God has ordained for us to be living in this time for a reason. Okay. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to slip into this. Our culture is so bad and it's so terrible. And back in the fifties, nobody ever sinned. It was amazing. You know, that's an exaggeration. Slightly, but sometimes that's not an exaggeration. Sometimes we think that, okay? The 50s weren't that amazing. Not that I was there, but I've heard, okay? So just let's just be clear, all right? But what we don't want to do is we don't want to just complain, complain, complain about it. Okay, God has us here for a reason. So let's accept that, right? Let's trust the Lord in that. So let's not just, let's not complain. Second, don't despair. Don't despair. We have victory in Christ, Read to the end of Matthew. I mean, we win, right? We have victory in Christ. We have forgiveness for our failures, and we have the equipping that we need to stay in step with the Spirit and and to walk by faith. So we have that victory. So we don't despair. We don't go, oh, it'll never, we'll never. No, no, no. And especially if you have struggled significantly in this area, and maybe you've already seen how destructive lust can be in your life, don't despair. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you that God's grace abounds, and you can grow, and you can change, and you can see. God's blessing and transformation in your life. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences. It doesn't mean it's not hard, but man, God's grace abounds. So, so don't despair, right? And don't despair when we look around at the culture and see it continue to, to shift and to slide and to move away uh, from a, a God-centered worldview. Don't despair. We have victory in, in Christ. Fourthly, though, don't attack the culture, right? Part of the reason why God has us here is so that we can love and minister to this culture. So what we don't want to do is walk around with this idea that somehow we're better than everybody else. Because we know, theologically, we are not better than anybody else. Our sin is just as dirty, just as simple. Maybe it's not to the same extreme, and hopefully it's not, but the fact is that we're sinners too, right? So we don't look down our nose at the culture and go, well, we're so much better than them, right? No, no, we look, we look at our culture. We say, God has me here for a reason to show the love of Christ. And yes, to live differently and to be the weirdo who's not willing to watch that or laugh at that or whatever. 
But what I do, I do that because it honors Christ and God may use that to advance the cause of the gospel in someone's life. So I'm not going to say they're my enemy because your neighbors aren't your enemy. Your neighbors are your opportunity to be salt and light, as Pastor TJ reminded us a few weeks back. Fourth, don't give up. Don't give up. The struggle is real. And just when you think maybe you've made progress, you may fail, you may struggle. But brothers and sisters, we can change. And by God's grace, we will change and we will grow. And so what we don't want to do is we don't want to just throw in the towel and say, forget it. It's too hard and just give in. And by the way, often that's where Satan will get you. He'll get you when you're tired and you're frustrated about something else. And all of a sudden sprinkle in a sexual temptation. And then it's like, ah, forget it. That's it. The only way to battle lust is wholeheartedly. And at the end of the day, even as Jesus calls us to this radically new way of thinking about the struggle, right? Even as he clarifies what the heart of God is about the matter of adultery and where it really comes from in the heart, this idea of lust, right? And as he says, lust is not okay. He does so as the one who equips us with the means to move forward. Think about it that way. Jesus purchased your forgiveness and has enabled you to live differently. We don't have to give in to the temptation. We don't have to be like everybody else. We can be different. We can be different because we have a glorious savior. My friend John Newton wrote a poem called The Power of Grace, which I really love for multiple reasons. But I love it because in this poem, he talks about how grace transforms us and how it actually equips us to be different. So just listen to how he says it. I just, I just got a couple stanzas here for you, but he says, happy the birth where grace presides to form the future life. So about when you become a believer, right? That second birth, happy the birth where grace presides to form the future life and wisdom's path. The soul she guides Remote from noise and strife. It's noisy. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of strife out there, but grace will point you to God's wisdom. He'll point you to wage war against this battle of lust. He says, thy, thy wandering saints, excuse me, thy wandering saints rejoice to see a life like me restored and point and say, How changed is he who once defied the Lord? The world may laugh at you, but we have a cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12 urging us on to be transformed, to let God's grace change us, to be different, and to say lust is not okay. He goes on to talk about the fact that grace transforms our tongue in praise. It transforms our decisions that we make. If you need hope this morning, if you're struggling with sexual sin, you're struggling with lust, I just want to encourage you that God's grace is real and it's at work. And we need to hear the words of Jesus today. Yes, there's effort involved. It's not to earn that forgiveness, but it's because we are forgiven. At the end of the day, as we hear so many voices telling us that lust is okay, it's not a big deal, You need to know that Jesus says it's not okay. And he says the only way to deal with lust, the only way to wage war with lust 
is wholeheartedly taking decisive action. If you're really struggling and you need help, please reach out to me this week. I would love to have that conversation with you about how I can encourage you and walk along with you in this struggle. And as we do so, we do so as brothers and sisters together, confident, not in our ability to sort it all out, but we're confident in our great Savior, who, yes, has told us that lust is not okay, but who died for our lust and rose from the dead to deliver us from its power. So would you pray with me and we'll ask God to help us. Lord, again, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And even as we just really scratch the surface and talking about these issues that are so prevalent in our culture, we're, we're mindful of our need for you. Lord, we need help even as we wage war with lust in our hearts. So Lord, help us. Lead us to repentance. Lord, help us to be courageous enough to confess our sin. Lord, give us confidence in you and your love for us to be willing to to do just that. Lord, lead us in wisdom and discernment as we have to live in the real world. And I pray for students who go to school, Lord. I pray for those going to work. I pray for those in, uh, in families where they're not believers, where there's a lot of extra temptation. And Lord, we ask for help. Lord, help us to navigate, uh, even as we use technology and as we have to use our phones and computers and, and Lord, even media choices, whatever that entails. Lord, we ask for your help in, in making wise decisions, Lord, and, and being discerning there to honor you. And to be willing to pay the price for sexual purity in our culture. Lord, we ask specifically that you would help comfort us as we confess our sins. That we would know we are forgiven. Not because we've earned it, but because you've given it in Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we praise you that you died for our sins and rose from the dead. And you have called us to a new life and you have equipped us to live this new life by your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to stay in step with your spirit, especially as it regards sexual sin. And Lord, as we look forward to leaving now and and getting back into the, the groove of our week that's coming, we ask that you would be glorified as we live differently. Lord, enable us to wage this battle with lust wholeheartedly. Help us to see the benefit and the payoff. And Lord, we ask that in all of this, you would be glorified. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.